I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're talking to Sun News sports reporter Stephen Wagner. We're talking about, well, about a lot of things. Stephen was recently selected as a voter in the Associated Press media poll for college football. The Aggie basketball team just had their first crimson and white scrimmage, giving us an early look at the team. I want to know what Stephen is thinking of both of these teams as the seasons progress, or in the case of basketball, as the season approaches. We'll also share the latest episode of the Aggie Wagon podcast to take you a little deeper into the story. It includes some whack predictions, some off-season recaps, and more. This week, we're honored to be joined by Stephen, who will talk about his reporting and how he has covered it as a reporter. First, Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Damien. Thanks for having me. It's always fun when we can uh, kind of shift gears and talk about other things. Let's start by talking a little bit about your new role as a voter in the AP's media poll. What can you tell us about that? Uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun. It's definitely been a lot of pressure, uh, you know, having some input and actually, you know, having a voice in how the college football rankings are uh, are determined every week um you know definitely uh, definitely requires a lot of vigilance whenever i'm not or even whenever i am you know covering uh you know new mexico state but you know all in all you know it's it's been a it's been a really really fun experience and uh you know somehow some way you're always able to find some way to uh, make some fan base unhappy out there. You've, you've, you've got to watch a whole bunch of teams that, um, even as a sports fan, you may not have watched before. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, that's kind of the, uh, that's, uh, I guess you could say that kind of comes with the territory. Uh, I mean, you know, I was probably going to be watching these games anyway, if we're being totally honest. Uh, but now it gives me another excuse to watch, uh, Washington play against Cal at you know nine thirty on a uh, on a Saturday night while I'm about to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, Pacific time zone problem makes it wildly entertaining. So, as you've been voting, how many uh, you you put in two two or three weeks? I think. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I believe I just finished voting in my third AP poll is uh what i'm what i'm pretty certain of i'm pre- I'm pretty sure i just voted in my third ap poll and what is that process like what do you what do you consider when you're uh casting your ballot yeah so effectively you know it, it's it, it's a it's a really unique combination of a few things for me because you know it'd be one thing if you could just say you know well this week's top 25 is a snapshot of who would beat who if these games were played uh right this second but you know there are some issues with that in terms of you know rank as far as rankings go because there's going to be that inherent bias toward uh you know some of the bigger schools and it might take something away from some of the smaller schools that have you know, maybe accomplished a little bit more, but kind of flown under the radar a little bit because their brand isn't nearly as big. Uh, Tulane is a fantastic example of that. Uh, Tulane is, I think, seven and one right now. But, you know, because it's Tulane and it's not Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, right. Ohio yeah. State, uh, exactly. USC, you know, one of those schools, you know, they kind of fly under the radar a little bit. And, um, do you, you know, so that's something you that you find yourself have to too. Do you find yourself boosting those underdogs a little bit more to kind of counterbalance that? Uh, kind of what I really try to do is the first thing I really try to consider is, uh, you know, resume. Who have you played? Who have you beaten? Who have you lost to? You know, what are the quality of your losses? You know, yeah, really, if you, uh, if you really lost to Alabama, points. like, you know, that lots of people lose to Alabama. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you don't want that to you know, be absolutely detrimental to how good or bad uh, a team is in 
a given week uh, or so. So, you know, once I once I look at resumes, then, you know, I also, you know, consider the records, you know, uh, for example, if Kansas State is undefeated, then they certainly deserve a little bit more love than, say, um, you know, a one loss or a two loss Utah team or something along those lines. Uh, And then another thing that I really try to consider that I use as the tiebreaker, if, you know, two teams have pretty similar resumes and pretty similar records. Sure. um, What I really try to use as the tiebreaker is ultimately, who do I think would win in a head-to-head matchup? If these two teams played right now, they threw down, who do I think would win in a head-to-head matchup? So that's kind of the process that I try to go through uh, whenever whenever I'm trying to rank these teams. You're, I don't want to say you're kind of new to the Sun News. You've been here for uh, a little over a year now, but you're relatively young in your journalism career. What does it mean to you to be, you know, a a voter in the uh, AP media poll? Uh, you know, whenever I first got the offer, it was, it, it literally was a dream come true. You know, this is something that, you know, I'd thought about. And I dreamt of, you know, ever since I was a little kid, you know, I always thought that this would be, you know, just something absolutely incredible to be a part of, um, you know, and, and something that has, you know, such a massive effect on the uh, on the college fo- on the the world of college football. Uh, you know, this deter, you know, this determines, you know, so much. It determines so many things. Um, and, you know, to be able to directly bowl, have an bowl games. involved role in that. Bowl yeah, games, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, to have an active and involved role in that, you know, is something that is just, you know, like absolutely incredible to me. You know, really a dream come true. How does the media poll stack up against the coaches poll? Because uh, usually and, and maybe you should uh, explain to listeners how there are two AP polls. Well, really, there's there's one AP poll and that's the that's the poll that you know, gives your team that nice little number next to it whenever they play on a, whenever they play on Saturday, you know, that's the reason right. why if right now it, they might be you know, 22 or they might be four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so just like the, you know, members of the, uh, members of, of the media vote on who the top 25 teams are, uh, football coaches vote on who the top 25 teams are in their own separate poll. And, uh, usually it's, fairly similar you know there's there's a kind of a a general especially this year you know there's there's a general understanding a general agreement of about who the top 10 teams are you know you might uh you know a a few teams might get shifted around here and there um but there's a general understanding of who uh of of who the top 25 teams are it it typically gets a a little bit more i think there's a little bit more of a contrast uh on the back end of the top 25 just because coaches typically hold different opinions and coaches evaluate uh, teams differently. You know, they're, they're watching film, they're watching games with a coach's eye. Uh, you know, they're evaluating all of the different levels and, you know, as much of uh, you know, as much as football experts as, you know, we media members like, uh, like to think of ourselves as, uh, you know, there's a, there's a level of insight with coaches where you don't really get elsewhere. Although, uh, you know, there's also, you know, an extreme level of subjectivity. And I would say, you know, kind of an overall lack of, uh, you know, objectivity and being able to step back and, you know, neutrally evaluate someone without thinking, oh yeah, my team could beat these guys. My team couldn't beat these guys. How much, um, uh, and, and this goes for the, uh, coaches poll and the media poll, how much do voters put their, their thumb on the scales for the home team? Uh, well, believe it or not, uh, whenever I was, uh, whenever I became a top 25 voter, one of the first things that I received from the AP uh, was kind of uh, almost kind of like a handbook, really, uh, explaining how it works and uh, explaining that any um, you know any suspicion of homerism will result <laughs> in you immediately being kicked being kicked off the top 25 yeah so so you were able to get the the job and then uh, got your knuckles whacked right away yeah yeah I did uh, Joel Klatt or Fox Sports's color TV analyst for 
Fox's big noon kickoff game. He had a uh, he 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 disagreed a little bit with uh, how I voted um, in uh, in my first AP poll. Uh, I uh, this was right after Texas uh, beat Oklahoma forty nine to nothing, and uh, I was one of I think maybe like three or so voters in the country um, who decided not to rank Texas after that because you know I, I didn't really I didn't really fall for it. And um, I didn't. It think should that the be noted that up. it should be noted that uh, you are a Texas alum. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and it, it kind of a diehard Texas fan. Uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily say diehard, but I would say I probably know more about the Longhorns than uh, <laughs> than, than most fans than do. Most, but that should, yeah. that, that that should certainly say something uh, that I am not pulling for any team in any direction here. Now, Stephen, uh, switching to college basketball, let's talk about Greg Heyer and the NMSU Aggies. As we look ahead to Greg Heyer's first year as head coach, what do you expect? I expect a high-flying, flashy, entertaining, up-tempo style of play from Greg Heyer. Uh, Chris Jans you know, his style of play was much more revolved around slowing things down, you know, hammering away in the half court, uh, you know, playing good defense. And, you know, he had absolutely no problem beating a team 65 to 61. Uh, Greg Heyer wants to expand those margins significantly. And the way that he wants to expand those margins is he wants he wants his team to have way more possessions. And the way that he's going to get way more possessions is playing way way faster. Um, He said before that whenever they're in practice, they practice with the shot clock set on 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Yeah. You've got 15 seconds to get that shot off, get back, get back and play defense. Um, You know, they're very pressure oriented. They're very speed oriented. They feel really good about their depth. Um, But kind of a concern that I have, I'm not even sure if I could or if I should necessarily label this as a concern. Uh, But I do believe that because of the style of play that they're using, you know, it's much more similar to the NBA style that we're seeing now that's so revolved around, you know, dunks and three-pointers, dunks and three-pointers. Yeah, isn't that harder on the players? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say so, especially if you... uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of wearing them out... Um, but you've also got a deep bench. Yeah, I don't think I'm really too concerned about that this year just because of the way that Greg Hire recruited and the depth that he has. More more the concern that I think that I have, and again, I'm not even sure if this is really a concern, but more something that I think will pop up for the Aggies at some point. Um, is because the margins are going to be so much larger. Uh, and what I mean by that is there's going to be so many more possessions and there's going to be so many more opportunities to score points. Um, I think that there is going to be a really good chance that if there's a night that the Aggies have where, you know, they just don't play their best, they miss a lot of shots, uh, ball's not going in for whatever reason, they're turning the ball over, it's not their night. I think that there's a really good possibility that they could even get blown out a couple of times. And, uh, you know, maybe even to opponents who in normal years, we would think, man, you know, New Mexico State should have waxed them. They should have ran the floor with them. Um, So I do think that there will be a little bit of a learning curve. I do think that, uh, you know, there will be some struggles to some degree in non-conference play uh, because Greg Heyer is entering his first season as a division one head coach. And, you know, it's really, really hard to just come in in your first season as a D one head coach and win huge immediately and, and sustain, you know, a historic level of success that the Aggies had under Chris Chance. Right. Um, and, but- and I certainly want to talk a little bit about that, but um, Stephen, how, do you have a sense of how uh, players are reacting to this uh, kind of new system of of playing? The system itself is new. That's absolutely correct. But the mentality and kind of the coaching style, coaching strategy, uh, you know, putting aside X's nose philosophy for a second really is pretty similar. Uh, you know, we got to remember, um, Chris Jans and Greg Heyer have ties going way, way back. Yeah, um, yeah way you know, back. 
Uh, Greg Heyer literally played for Chris Jans in junior college. They coached together on multiple staffs. They were assistants together on uh, those Wichita State teams that went to the Final Four and the Sweet 16 and you know really shocked the world and put Wichita State University uh, on the map. So the actual coaching style, the coaching beliefs, the core principles and all that stuff, I think are, is still there. They're not uh, brand new to, to right, this just, team. Just different X's and O's. And not to mention, um, you know, this is a team where uh, 11 of the 13 members, um, you know, did not receive minutes for New Mexico State last season. You know, there's only three players who uh, returning this year who were, you know, at least in the Aggie building uh, a season ago. And so really everyone is starting from scratch. This is new for everyone. But again, the good news is a lot of these guys came from pretty similar systems. First year coaches traditionally face an uphill battle. Yeah, they do. And I talked about this on the Aggie Wagon podcast uh, last week. That's uh, that's our New Mexico State men's basketball which, podcast, which we'll hear a little bit later in this episode, actually. Yeah. And I, I kind of talked about this a little bit. If you look at, you know, coaches, historically speaking, um, you know, really at all levels, uh, first time or well, I shouldn't say all levels, but, you know, especially at the college level, uh, you know, first time division one head coaches, typically um, they struggle in their first season. They struggle in their first couple of seasons. Uh, whenever Roy Williams first became a head coach uh, and he took over the Kansas Jayhawks, you know, a blue blood right. basketball program, um, you know, where, you know, you think basketball, you think Kansas. <laughs> Kansas. Yeah. Kansas you know, the, is. The they're, they're, they're always going to kill it. They've um, been great forever. You except look at they his, didn't. You look at his record in his first season at Kansas, he was 19 and 12 overall, and he was six and eight in conference play. Kansas was very mediocre average. And, you know, winning 19 games would still be really, really good for a lot of schools. And that is success in its own way. Um, it would, but it would be good for New Mexico state. Wouldn't it? Uh, I'd say New Mexico state because of the successes that they've had historically, I think their fan base should probably be able to expect, uh, maybe 25 wins a season, 25 plus. Um, but at a lot of schools, uh, you know, 19 wins would be acceptable, but at a place like Kansas, Kansas it's not, uh, it, yeah, it, no, no. And, uh, you know, Rick Patino, whenever he, uh, whenever he started out coaching at, at Kentucky, Kentucky, uh, that was, a, yeah. that was actually his, that was actually his second coaching stop. But, uh, his first season at Kentucky, they were 500 and they were two years away or I'm sorry, they were two years removed from a sweet 16 finish and a top five finish in the AP poll. Um, you look at Bill Self, who is currently the head coach at Kansas. I think it took him like four or five seasons to have a winning record at Oral Roberts and John Calipari, the current Kentucky basketball coach. It took him three or four seasons before he had a winning record at UMass. Um, you know, it is not easy for a coach in his first season as a head coach to immediately just walk in and establish success with the snap of a finger. Uh, you know, this is something that it, you know, it's, it's a slow process. It takes time to build a culture. And I do think the Aggies will win this year. I really do. I think they'll win 25 games. Um, and I think they'll finish top three in the whack, but I think it's very, very difficult for us to say that we immediately expect Greg hire a first time division one head coach yeah. to walk in and completely parallel the level of six, the historic level of success that Chris Jans had. Yeah. And uh, Stephen, talk about uh, what the difference is between Chris Jans or Reggie Theus uh, and Greg hire. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Uh, yeah, obviously the biggest difference between Chris Jans and Greg Heyer is the X's nose. Um, Greg Heyer loves tempo. He wants to play fast. He wants to push the ball. He wants to get up the court. He wants dunks and threes. Um, you know, he wants, uh, you know, he, he wants, he wants to beat teams 85 to 80. He wants to get in a shootout and say, my guys are better than your guys. Uh, Chris Jans was much more focused 
around, uh, you know, physicality, slow it down, uh, you know, grind this thing out in the half court. We'll be the team 65 to 61. Yeah, and we're yeah. totally and we're totally OK with that. It might um, it might be a 50 point game. And uh, that's perfectly fine if we win. Exactly. You know, if they scored, you know, if if they beat a team 55 to 53, they're totally happy with that. Uh, you know, Chris Jans was much more along the mindset of, you know, we're going to grind you out. We're going to wear you down. It's going to be close in the fourth quarter and we're going to win because our guys are better than your guys. Um, Greg Heyer wants to avoid the fourth quarter altogether. He wants to go in there. He wants to blow you out from the jump. Um, he wants possessions. He wants to force turnovers. He, yeah, he, um, he wants to win. Yeah, yeah. Or, I, excuse me, I shouldn't say fourth quarter. I should say second half. Sorry, I was watching the Laker game last night. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he wants to, you know, he kind of wants to avoid that situation altogether because he thinks that he has a squad that can show up and blow you out. And on paper, that talent level is absolutely there. They've recruited extreme you know they've they've recruited extremely well uh and then marvin menzies uh you know and reggie theus i wish i was able to comment a little bit more on that uh, I, I i wish that you were around during the reggie theus days because they were a lot of fun that's exactly what i've heard you know i've heard that you know that was back whenever uh the whack tournament was actually held in las cruces at the pan am yes and, it know, was awesome you saw, you know, some of the craziest sellout games, you know, at the Pan Am's ever had, you know, some of the best basketball games that have ever been played at the Pan Am back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about um, the, the crimson and white scrimmage. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that really was, you know, in a lot of ways you think of how football teams will have a spring game, you know, kind of just to showcase what they've been working on, give fans an idea for, you know, what the team looks like, you know, what they should expect, um, you know, who maybe some of the key players are going to be. That's basically what the scrimmage and right, what the, what the crimson and white scrimmage was, um, you know, it was an opportunity for fans to step out and, you know, really see, really get a first glimpse at this year's Aggies. And, um, I, I can't, uh, I, I can't confirm this for certain, but it would not surprise me at all if Greg Hyatt told the guys before uh, before before the tip off, um, you know, give the fans something to be excited about because, you know, we saw, you know, we saw windmill dunks. You know, we saw uh, we saw Mike Peak literally try to put his elbow inside of the rim on a dunk. Oh. Uh, yeah, we, we saw shooters pulling up from 30 feet in transition and nailing, you know, these really long range threes, you know, really showcasing what this team has, uh, has the potential to do. And, you know, in terms of the actual plays that they ran, you know, they kept, they kept everything pretty vanilla. You know, they didn't really give anything away. Uh, you know, really what you would expect, you know, it's, you wouldn't expect, it, uh, it, it wasn't a, a scouting report. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's nothing where, you know, an opponent's going to take a look and say, you know, wow, you know, I can't believe that they ran this play on film. We better start preparing for this. But, you know, it was an opportunity for fans to really, you know, get excited uh, about this team. You know, Xavier Pinson and Issa Muhammad right this second. Um, they look like the two best players on the team. Uh, Deshondre Washington, you know, looks really, really good. So does Deuce Benjamin, the uh, the freshman from Las yeah, Cruces. Yeah, um, and he's kind of a superstar. Is he... Is he likely to be in the starting five? Uh, I would say he probably will not start. Um, I, I I honestly don't see him playing a massive role this season. I think he'll get minutes. I think he'll participate. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be someone that, you know, they're going to be, you know, designing the entire offense around, uh, so to speak. Although I do think that he will participate in some role this year. It would really, really surprised me if he redshirted. It would really surprise me if he redshirted. What can you, I kind of on that, on that note, what can you tell us about the players the team has lost either through the transfer portal or graduation? Well, I guess first I, I should start with, uh, with a guy, the Aggies lost and then immediately gained right back. Uh, Johnny McCants, he, you know, he was he, he was at New Mexico State for what felt like 15 years or something like that. Uh, he was actually a 60 year senior last year. But, um, you know, he's as a, soon as a, he's a 15 year senior, something like that, the guy's actually older than I am, which <laughs> still makes me, which still makes me laugh. Um, but he graduated. Uh, he graduated back in May. 
And, uh, you know, he was kind of weighing his basketball options, you know, what his basketball career might look like, what his basketball future might look like. And uh, he accepted a position at NMSU uh, as an analyst. Um, So, you know, he was out of that program for all of like five months or something like that before he promptly came right back to the Aggies. You know, he's right back there in the locker room where I think he's extremely comfortable. You know, Greg Heyer has been extremely complimentary of the job that Johnny McCants has done, uh, uh, the the job that that Johnny McCants has done uh, as a basketball analyst. That's his official title. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was really, you know, I, I think that fans really, really enjoy, you know, having the, having the hometown hero, uh, playing in, uh, you know, back in the Pan Am, uh, even if he's in a non-playing role, you know, whenever he was introduced as an analyst at the Crimson and White scrimmage, and they kind of did, you know, the, the, the players and coaches introductions, uh, for the season, you know, the crowd really erupted and, uh, you know, I think he's happy to be back. I think the crowd, I think the fans are happy to have him back. You know, I think there's all good vibes on that front. But other than that, um, you know, New Mexico State lost basically all of its production last season. Uh, you know, Kichi yeah, Avery, uh, Jabari Rice, Jabari Rice, Teddy Allen. Uh, like I said, Johnny McCants uh, no longer playing for the Aggies. Uh, Will McNair followed Chris Jans to Mississippi State. Um, you know, they're, they're, they did lose basically all of their production from last year. Uh, you know, Mike peak did end up starting a, uh, a couple of games last season, but you know, he was certainly no, you know, Jabari rice. He was certainly no Johnny McCants. He was no Teddy Allen. Um, you know, that, that, that just kind of wasn't, uh, you know, that, that just kind of wasn't the role, um, that, uh, that he had and, and Chi Chi Avery, you know, we saw what he could do in flashes, uh, last season, but you know, most of the minutes that he got were at the end of blowout games or maybe against division two opponents, uh, or something along those lines. So this team really is starting from scratch. Is that going to hurt them in the upcoming season? I think it's something that we are definitely going to see them struggle with, uh, in non-conference play, just like literally every team in the country. Um, I don't think there's a team in America that, will be totally satisfied with the way that they play after game one and say, yeah, this is perfect. Uh, we're exactly at the level that we want to be, uh, you know, every team, yeah, every team is going through this, you know, chemistry needs to build. Uh, it's also been what I think seven, it'll, it'll have been eight months since seven and a half or eight months since New Mexico state last played, you know, an an NCAA regulated Uh, basketball game, a regular opponent. Sure. Yeah. So there's also going to be that natural level of rust. Uh, players are certainly are certainly going to take some time to kind of get, you know, acclimated to the new system and playing with each other, developing that chemistry. But typically with most teams, and this is very common across the country, you know, you see the same thing at Duke and Kentucky. Um, you know, it, most teams typically start to figure things out around the start of conference play, which is usually right around, uh, you know, the Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. And what about incoming transfers and recruits? How are they looking? I got to tell you, Greg Heyer came to New Mexico State with this reputation of being a voracious recruiter. And He's lived up to it. Um, you know what? Re- what on court results that's going to to uh, to result in? You know we uh, or that's ultimately going to translate to is yet to be seen. But the pure talent he has done as good a job as anyone in just amassing raw talent at New Mexico State. And you uh, you he, mean anyone in D one like I, I, anyone? I, I really and truly do. Um, he brought in a very substantial amount of talent. This might be in terms of overall raw and pure talent, uh, you know, forget, you know, coaching discipline and, uh, you know, on court execution and all that stuff aside, you know, this is an extremely talented roster. Uh, Xavier Pinson came over from LSU. Um, I said this during the Crimson and White scrimmage. I'm going to say it again. Uh, he's the best player on the team. And he was my pick or he was my preseason, my preseason pick for the WAC player of the year award. Um, I, I, you know, I voted for him and, you know, he, he, he gave me a, he gave me a glimpse of, you know, why I definitely think that was the right decision. The kid is just, you know, raw talent. Um, if you look up his highlights from whenever he was the starting point guard at LSU, I mean, he was just an absolute stud. There are some 
kind of minor uh, eligibility questions that are still lingering uh, in that the Aggies are still waiting for uh, Pinson's uh, eligibility waiver to be cleared by the NCAA. I, I do know that that was related to academics. Uh, and then Kim Aiken Jr. transfer from Arizona. Um, they're also waiting on uh, to get an eligibility waiver back uh, on him from the NCAA. Um, his eligibility more centers directly around the University of Arizona on uh, on some details that I can't really get into. But in terms of the pure talent, you know, this is an extremely talented roster. You know, he brought over two players from Northwest Florida State College, the junior college that he was at last year uh, in Deshondre Washington and Issa Muhammad. And, you know, they came in with the reputation of being two of, you know, the best junior college recruits in the country. And yeah, they're, they definitely they're, they're likely to be uh, rock stars on this team. Yeah. Issa Muhammad, especially. And everyone that I've spoken to about Issa said that he has taken leaps and bounds this year compared to where he was at uh, at the junior college level last season. He has just developed tremendously. Uh, Deshondre Washington, um, he's, you know, for, for our NBA fans, you know, I kind of compare him to Chris Paul a little bit. Um, you know, he's a, he's a floor general. Um, he's not a scorer. He's not going to, you know, make the flashiest plays, but he's going to make sure that the right guy has the ball in his hands at the right time. Yeah, and yeah. he, you know, he is going to play that kind of facilitator role. And you can see that, you know, him and Xavier Pinson are kind of, they're taking a little while to get used to each other's chemistry. And I think that's just because they've both been so used to having the ball in their hands throughout their entire career that they're kind of figuring out, you know, what that balance is, you know, whenever they're on the court together and how do they kind of play off of each other. But I think if this team gets things clicking, you know, this could be a really exciting and really fun team to watch because in terms of raw, pure talent, it is there. It is completely there. What do you want to add that uh, we haven't already talked about? You know, that's a good question. Um, I guess, you know, I would tell Aggie fans this season to uh, to kind of um, trying to think of what's the what's the best way to put this uh, roll with the punches whenever they come, because there are going to be some punches. Yeah. At yeah. Some point. Uh, you're going to win some and lose some. Yeah. And. You know, I, I keep on harping on this. It would not surprise me at all if New Mexico State has a couple of really bad non-conference losses uh, while they're still getting this whole thing figured out. You know, this roster has 10 new players on it. Um, you know, 10 guys who weren't, at, or, you know, who weren't playing for the Aggies last season on it. They have a first time Division One head coach. Um, they have, you know, a pretty grueling road schedule in the month of December and their rivals, UTEP and UNM are expected to be greatly improved this season. Uh, you know, um, New Mexico's, you know, guard combination is kind of regarded as possibly the best, uh, one, two guard combo in, uh, in the mountain West. It would, uh, UTEP it would be would, terrible for, uh, Greg Heyer if he happened to lose both of those UNM and UTEP games. Yeah, it would be, but, you know, I do think Greg hires a good coach. I really do. And I think he'll have success here. But I'm I'm telling Gaggy fans, you know, be patient. Let this team have a little bit of a learning curve because they're certainly going up against good competition. I also think that UTEP is going to be really, really improved this season, too. They were picked eighth in Conference USA. I think that was a gross mistake. And I think under Joe Golding, UTEP's going to take a really, really big step. They're underestimated? Yeah, definitely. And New Mexico State is going to be, you know, their first real test. Uh, you know, they're playing against each other November 12th in El Paso at the Don Haskins Center. Oh, and UTEP right now is actively trying to sell out their November 12th game against New Mexico State at the Don Haskins Center. And, uh, you know, it's sounding like there's a little bit of palpable buzz um, in El Paso about the minors and in year two under Joe Golding, especially coming off a year where they overachieved. And fans are, you know, we, we saw fans kind of turn out for UTEP football. I think they're expecting fans to turn out for UTEP basketball in a similar way. And so, you know what that means for Greg Hire in New Mexico State? 
your first true road test of the season and for Greg Hire, his first his first road test as a division one head coach, also his first game against a division one opponent as a head coach is going to possibly be in a sold out Don Haskins Center <laughs> in El Paso <laughs> against one of New Mexico State's biggest, biggest rivals. You rivals. talk about baptism yeah. by fire. Yeah. It's almost uh baptism by blowtorch that's exactly what it could be um and i i think that there's a possibility that the aggies will struggle um I, you know i think that if they end up sweeping all four games that they have against utep and unm that would be considered an enormous success uh, um well but uh i think all of they always are they always say Stephen, that uh if you beat utep and unm uh that's a winning season and, you know, for Aggie fans, it absolutely is. You know, Michigan fans say the same thing about Ohio State. <laughs> Alabama fans say the yeah. same thing about Auburn. You know, um, uh, Florida State yeah. fans say the same thing about Miami. Um, and so, you know, they are going to be tested very quickly and very fast. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your time today. I certainly appreciate it. Absolutely, Damian. Thanks for having me. Um, Happy trails. Happy trails. <laughs> and now here's this season's first episode of the aggie wagon howdy folks and welcome to the aggie wagon podcast a place for new mexico state men's basketball skeptics fanatics doubters and really anyone who likes basketball i'm your host steven wagner let's shoot the breeze what's up guys welcome to season two Episode one of the Aggie Wagon podcast. It is fantastic to be back in studio after seven months, six months, something like that. I can't remember. It's been too long. But anyway, it is a thrill to be back in the studio. I love doing this podcast. It's awesome that I'm getting to uh, it's get it's awesome that I'm getting to record this in this little studio that we have in the Sun News News Building. And uh, we have a lot to cover today. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, today, we're going to give a quick off-season recap, uh, going to break down some of my whack predictions, primarily why I didn't pick New Mexico State to win the conference in Greg Heyer's first year. And I want to clarify here, when I say to win the conference, I mean win the whack regular season championship. I still think this team is very capable of returning to the NCAA tournament and winning the conference tournament, but NMSU is not my pick to win the WAC regular season title. I'll break that down a little bit. Like I said, I'll recap the offseason too, and we'll have some takeaways from Thursday night's Crimson and White scrimmage. If you weren't able to attend that, just be sure to pop in here and uh, listen to a few of my thoughts. But anyway, so... Off-season recap. This season, New Mexico State is only returning two players from last year who received minutes, plus Shakiru Odunwu, who I'm pretty sure that I'm butchering that name. I'm not certain of it. Uh, I know there's coaches and teammates call him Shaq, so I'm going to call him Shaq too. But he redshirted last season, and right now he kind of looks like he may be a longer-term development project. But... I'll have to do an episode at some point on New Mexico State's bigs, you know, specifically Shaq, Easter Muhammad, and some of the depth issues that I think the Aggies are going to have at that spot. But everyone else is new and higher hit on some really sizable recruits in the transfer portal. He comes to NMSU with the reputation of being a relentless recruiter, and that was certainly true this offseason. He added three Power Five transfers in Xavier Pinson from LSU. Kwaye Gordon from Missouri and Kim Aiken Jr. from Arizona. And there's a there's a very slim chance that Pinson and Aiken won't be available at some point really early in the season because the team is still waiting on the NCAA to clear their eligibility waivers for the upcoming year. Uh, you can read more about that on the Sun News website. But it sounds like they should be available for New Mexico State season opener against I believe it's New Mexico Highlands, not not Western New Mexico. New Mexico Highlands is their official opener uh, November 7th at the Pan American Center. But I just want to get back to my bit about transfers. More than 75% of this scholarship roster is new. And I know that we live in the era of the transfer portal, but that number is still staggering to me. And with that comes some good and bad. And I, I, sh I shouldn't necessarily say with that per se, 
but kind of with the whole situation that New Mexico State is in with 75% new players and a new coaching staff, a new system, really everything just having to be learned from scratch. Uh, so the good is that NMSU has amassed a ton of talent in Las Cruces. This really might be the most talented team in the whack top to bottom, which means it's going to probably surprise some people that I didn't pick them to win the regular season conference championship this year. Although I still think they have a fantastic shot to win the conference tournament and go to the NCAA tournament. I'll also have more on that in a bit, but he brought in a ton of guys who were previously at power five schools like Kyle fight too, uh, who was just an absolutely incredible three point shooter and a bunch of junior college transfers like Deshondre Washington, Issa Muhammad, who were at Northwest Florida state last season, uh, which isn't totally unlike what Neil McCarthy had a lot of success with, with his teams back in the nineties. Um, there's probably right now, 11 or 12 guys on the roster where if the season started today, I would feel comfortable putting them in the game. But if the season started today, my starting five would be Xavier Pinson, Deshondre Washington, Kwaye Gordon, Mike Peak, and Issa Muhammad. Issa Muhammad is a beast, by the way, and I'm going to need to do an episode on him at some point, like I said a second ago. So that's the good. But like I said, there's a little bit of bad too. And honestly, I'm not even totally sure if I should call it bad quote unquote or not, because it's not really good or bad. It just is, it, it is what it is. And it's a huge part of the reason why I picked NMSU to finish behind Stephen F. Austin and Grand Canyon in the whack this season. So as we all know, Greg Heyer is entering his first season as NMSU's head coach after a very long and successful career at the junior college level and having a lot of success as an, as an assistant at a bunch of different Division I schools. He won a junior college national championship last season at Northwest Florida, and he was on staff on those Wichita State teams that went to the Final Four in a Sweet 16 in a three-year span. He's one of Chris Jans's boys. Those dudes go way back. Hire actually played for Jans in college. They coached together at the junior college level, and then they were assistants together at Wichita State. So there's no denying that he has carved out a solid career for himself in the basketball coaching industry. But this is his first Division I head coaching gig, and you may be seeing, well, why does that matter? Should it even matter at all? Who gives a crap at the end of the day? Well, I say it matters because history says it matters for most first-time Division I head coaches. Even the really great coaches have struggled finding success in their first seasons as Division I head coaches. So let's just look at some of New Mexico State's head coaches here for a second. Chris Jantz, in his first season as a D1 head coach, also came off of a very similar JUCO career uh, had a lot of success as, a, as an assistant. And Jans was 21 and 12 at Bowling Green. Then he came to NMSU, had a boatload of success, really won right away after he got his first season as a D1 head coach out of the way at Bowling Green. Paul Weir went 28 and 6 and made the NCAA tournament, but he didn't win the conference's regular season title. Marvin Menzies went 21 and 14 in a season after. He took over a program that went to the NCAA tournament the previous season and had success. And Reggie Theus went 16 and 14 in his first year after taking over from Lou Henson. Now, all of those are pretty decent records to have in your first season as a head coach. And some of those teams had pretty decent talent. But Paul Weir was the only head coach who had a record that was actually good enough to win the whack in the regular season, or at least give yourself a shot at winning the WAC regular season title. And he had a ton of holdovers from the previous year. The culture was already established. He didn't have to establish something new himself. And the other coaches didn't go to the NCAA tournament in their first year as a division one head coach. Uh, but what about other coaches say, 
at schools not named New Mexico State? And what about other coaches at, say, uh, you know, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, some of the greatest coaches of all times who built some of the winningest programs of all time? So I'm going to read off some stuff on four coaches who have all won national championships. That's Rick Pitino, John Calipari, Roy Williams, and Bill Self. It took Rick Pitino six seasons to win more than 21 games. And in, in, and in his first season at Kentucky, he was 500. He was 14 and 14. It took John Calipari three seasons to win more than 20 games in his first head coaching gig at UMass. Roy Williams was 19 and 12 in his first season at Kansas and finished sixth in the old Big Eight Conference and had a losing record in conference play. And Bill Self didn't win more than 21 games in his first five seasons as a head coach. And all of those guys are Hall of Famers with national championships. Now, Am I saying the Aggies are going to suck this season? Definitely not. In fact, I think they'll be pretty good. But I'm saying no one should expect Greg Heyer to simply walk in in his first season as a Division I head coach and immediately parallel the level of success that Chris Jans had. Do I think he's going to get there? Yes, I really do. And I thought Heyer was a fantastic hire by New Mexico State. I really like the move a lot. But... I'm saying that fans need to give higher a little bit of wiggle room because I'm calling it now that this team is going to take some lumps before whack play starts. And that is the primary reason why I pick New Mexico state to finish third in the conference behind grand Canyon and Stephen F. Austin. Now then real quick, uh, let's go ahead and dive into the crimson and white scrimmage that we had Thursday night at the Pan American Center. Uh, it was a really fantastic event. Um, it, I thought it was a great way to unofficially tip off the upcoming season, really big some, really build some excitement, get a lot of buzz going around Las Cruces uh, about the team. Um, it was free to attend. Uh, they played 10 three-minute thirds, I guess it would, it, it would be, uh, three 10 minute periods, um, for a grand total of 30 minutes, uh, all scholarship players except for James Beck played, uh, Beck was in street clothes, uh, wasn't sure if he was injured or not, not really going to speculate on that. Uh, but higher didn't really seem too concerned about, uh, anyone on the roster. Um, but just some quick takeaways from the scrimmage. Uh, Xavier Pinson and Isu Muhammad, those two, right this second, they are the best players on New Mexico State's team by a lot. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but by what feels like a comfortable amount. Uh, this is a high-flying offense. Pinson and, and Muhammad played really, really well uh, on both ends of the court. Uh, Isu Muhammad, apparently, um, he's gained somewhere in the range of 20 ish pounds, uh, since he arrived at, at MSU over the summer, he's put on a lot of healthy weight, uh, Xavier Pinson, uh, they're still waiting on his eligibility waiver to come through. It's sounding like it probably will. There's a minor concern. Uh, actually I really shouldn't say concern. Uh, they are being, or New Mexico state staff does feel pretty confident that it is going to come through. Uh, both of them looked fantastic. Uh, Issa Muhammad had 19 points and eight rebounds and a pair of assists. Uh, he also hit a three too. And Xavier Pinson had 15 points and three assists. Uh, he also scored 10 points in the second period alone. Um, I'm definitely expecting that both of those guys are going to be dudes that NMSU is going to lean on. Uh, another quick takeaway that I had, turnovers are going to be kind of a concern. And Greg Heyer talked about how this team is practicing with 15 seconds on the shot clock. And uh, the number of possessions that NMSU has this season is going to drastically increase. Um, but 
with more points uh, also comes more possessions and probably more giveaways. Um, NMSU had 30 turnovers last night, uh, which definitely exceeded last year's season high from any regular season game. And in theory, this style of offense should give NMSU the opportunity to beat anyone they play this year. But I also think it means that the Aggies are capable of losing to anyone that they'll play this year, or I should say nearly anyone that they'll play this year. But there's still three weeks before the, before the season opener or the official season opener. Uh, the Aggies have plenty of time to clear this up. I don't think there's any team in the country that feels fantastic about their turnover situation right now. Uh, um, you know, I doubt that Duke and Kentucky feel fantastic about where they sit right now. Uh, but that will be something that NMSU is definitely going to need to improve on. Um, and uh, last takeaway that I had, I also wrote about this in my article. Um, NMSU has really embraced Greg Heyer's idea of positionless basketball. Uh, the one through four spots all feel very interchangeable, but depth at the five is going to be a real concern. Because right now, it's Issa Muhammad and then a substantial drop-off before you get to Shaka Dunwu. That is going to be moderately concerning to me because unless you're comfortable with Issa playing 30 to 35 minutes a night, uh, which is a lot uh, from a position that is very physically demanding um, and really takes a lot for, you know, a 240 uh, pound guy to be sprinting up and down the court uh, for 40 minutes. I think that that is going to be a concern. But folks, that's going to do it for season two, episode one of the Aggie Wagon podcast. Again, thank you all for tuning in. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at StephenWag22. You can follow all of the Las Cruces on News' NMSU basketball coverage on our website. Uh, feel free to give this podcast a like. And as always, if you have any tips, suggestions, anything along those lines, or you just want to chat basketball, you can email me at swagner at lcsun news or you can feel free to DM me on Twitter. I do keep my Twitter DMs open. But until next time, thanks for listening and happy trails. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Stephen for joining us this week. You can read Stephen's reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. You can find this podcast and Stephen's podcast, The Aggie Wagon, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's episode was written and produced by me. You can also find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at the Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time. <laughs>